when my sons were growing up, I would often torture them around the dinner table. Far worse than forcing them to eat broccoli or cauliflower. That's easy compared to. I had this little booklet in our uh, little credenza, and I would pull it out, and it was titled um, Executive Etiquette. In fact, I think there's the copy of it right there. And, uh, and let me tell you how old this book is. Let's go to the next slide. See the phone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how old it is. But um, in an attempt to tame these two savage barbarians that I brought into the world, um, I would torture them by reading them choice selections of etiquette, hoping, praying that something would sink into their savage souls, you know. It turned one into a police officer and the other into a social worker, so I'll let you interpret that however you want. I will say this, my younger son, I spoke with him this week, he interviewed for a job, he's living in Virginia, broke his mom's heart, moved out there. Uh, he said, what are you going to talk about Sunday? I said, well, I'm going to talk about you, and I'm going to talk about that etiquette book that we used to read, and the minute I said that, we were Skyping, the minute I said that, his eyes rolled, oh, like that, and then he said this. He said, do we still have that book? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I think we do. I said, would you like it? He said, well, as a matter of fact, I would. Isn't that interesting? I'm far wiser in my 24-year-old's eyes now than I was 10 years ago, okay? So just parenting lesson, right? Stay the course. You're going to be much smarter 10 years from now than your children think that you are. So anyway, there are some things in that book that are so obvious that they're not in that book. For instance, uh, you know, when you're a guest at someone's home, never show up and start telling other guests where they should sit. Right? I mean, that's up to the host, isn't it? And speaking of the host, um, when you get to the dinner party and you see the other guests, don't question the host on why he or she invited the other guests. Why did you invite them? Why did you invite her? Why do you invite them? I mean, that's up to the host. So two very, very simple rules of etiquette that are so obvious, they're not even in that book, are don't tell people where to sit. That's up to the host. And don't tell the host who the host should have invited. That's up to the host. Does that make sense? Well, Jesus evidently didn't get that memo. Evidently, he didn't read the book. Because that's exactly what we see him doing in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. I'd like you to turn there. We're in a series... Uh, on uh, multi-ethnic conversations, bridges. And uh, there's such a fascinating passage of Scripture here that tells about Jesus and a dinner party that he attended. I want to read 
uh, the entire passage here, verses 1 through 24, I really have to in order for us to get the entire flavor of uh, what this message uh, in these verses are about. You'll find Luke 14, 1 through 24 on page 873 of your church Bibles. One Sabbath, when he, that's Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Then he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin uh, with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, well, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, well, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. So Jesus has been invited to this banquet feast at the home of a very elite person, a Pharisee. It's the Sabbath. And there in Luke 24, you know, there's a miracle that happens. 
There are par- there's a parable that's told, and then there's a principle that's shared. And that, this principle that we're going to get to is the answer to the question that I want us to consider this morning. Because in our series of late, multi-ethnic conversations, bridges, we've been talking about our differences, how God has gathered us from different stories and different places. But the question that I want to ask today is this. As far as God is concerned, what's common about us? Is there a sameness about us? What is it that we share Amidst all of our different stories. Well, the answer to that question unfolds, but you're going to take a little journey with me. And the journey involves this dinner where this miracle took place and a parable was shared. And it's where we get to the principle. So uh, the story starts with dinner on the Sabbath. Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? He is a very uh, person who belongs to a, a sect of Judaism that's uh, uh, very strict in terms of their interpretation of the Hebrew law. Um, in fact, the word Pharisee means the separate ones. And, and they were Jesus' adversaries. And this adversary invites Jesus to dinner. And you must understand, they didn't have quick bites to eat back then. Uh, It was an evening entertainment affair. Um, Justo Gonzalez is a New Testament scholar, and this is what he wrote about this passage of Scripture. When we sit together with someone at a table, this implies some sort of relationship. It may be a matter of friendship, of business, or of simply trying to get to know each other better. But in any case, sitting with one another at a table is both a sign and a way to create and develop relationships. So there's this opportunity of understanding and connection that is presented by this banquet feast. But then Husto says this, But when you eat with Jesus, you better be on guard. (laughs) You see, in Jesus' world, meals were shared by folk of their own kind. So in the New Testament, in the honor culture, to dine with someone socially above you would enhance your reputation, your honor. And likewise... To eat with those socially below you, uh, well, that would diminish your honor or your status. Keep that in mind as this event unfolds. The Pharisee was there really in order to test Jesus, to try Jesus. That's really what's behind verse 1 when it says, They were watching him carefully. (laughs) Why? careful because they wanted to try to trip him up they wanted to try to discredit Christ's ministry and Jesus knew this and so that's why this very odd 
occurrence happens next. They're at this uh, Pharisee's home, and the Pharisee has invited the Pharisee, the other Pharisees, and Jesus has been invited. And then someone who, in their eyes, just really wouldn't normally belong, well, or not, or even abnormally belong, someone who just wouldn't belong, happens to be there. It's this person who has dropsy. Um, uh, the medical professionals would call it uh, edema. This abnormal swelling uh, caused by fluids. The body's not processing fluids. You're still getting thirsty. You're still needing to consume fluids, but the body's not processing fluids. And so there's this, there's this uh, uh, abnormal, even grotesque swelling that's taking place here uh, with this person. And well, why is he there? Because they're watching him. It's the Sabbath. They want to know if Jesus is going to heal this person on the Sabbath. This poor soul who is, uh, whose life is threatened by his condition. Uh, what's Jesus going to do? And Jesus, be, Jesus knows this, so he asks the question, right? Verse 3. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Verse 4. Silence. They won't even answer the question. You talk about then someone who rolls his eyes. Unbelievable. Jesus heals him. He gets him up and he sends him on his way. He turns their fanatical legalism against them. Fellas, think, verse 5, if your own child fell into a well on the Sabbath... Wouldn't you do a rescue? You wouldn't even, I mean, what if it were just your beast of burden? You know, is it lawful to do good on this silence? Verse 6. And they could not reply to these things. Is that sad or what? They are in the presence of the king of the universe. And here's just a quick lesson. This is not even my big idea. This is a little idea that's going to lead to the big idea. Isn't it possible to dine with Christ, be with Christ, sit in Christ's presence, listen to Christ's teaching, and yet remain unaffected? They didn't want to help this sufferer. That's not why they brought the sufferer. They didn't care about the sufferer. They wanted to use the sufferer to discredit Christ. That's cold. And yet it may be said of us if we simply hear the word and don't do what it says. As Jesus' half-brother James tells us in the letter to James. Isn't it possible to look in the mirror and to go away and to immediately forget what you look like, which is what happens when you just listen to the word and not let it affect your life? We, we get spiritual amnesia. You know, we're with God, but not two minutes after we walk out of community worship or small group, it's, we forget God. The Pharisees, it's not that they didn't know their Bible. They knew you would want your daughter to marry a Pharisee. You would. I mean, they were just, they were upright and more. They knew the word from the outside, but their hearts were far, far from God. And as a result, you know, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. As a result, they thought they were special. They thought they were different. Pharisee, the separate ones. They thought they were separate in, in a way that, that made them arrogant and proud. C.S. Lewis talks about this in an essay he calls The Inner Ring. 
the inner ring. It's, it's about a person's passion to be on the inside of whatever group they happen to associate with. I want to be on the inside. I want to be on the in group, you know, and it causes you to do really, it can cause you to do just really awful things just so that you can be on the inside. And then if you get on the inside, it turns you, it turns you into a Pharisee, it turns you arrogant. That's what's going on here. And so after the miracle, Jesus then sees the, the room dynamics, and he talks about pride, and he talks about arrogance there. Back then, a dinner table would have really been more like a, um, a U-shaped table, and the guests would have been at, at one end of the U-shape, and then, and then the next prominent guest would have sat next to the host, and then, and then it was sort of a pecking order. And Jesus sees the other guests vying for the coveted seat next to the host. And that's when he responds. That's when he says in verse 8, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. You know, what if it's not about you? What if it's not your seat? Then you're going to be, then you're gonna have to move and it's going to be embarrassing. And you're going to be relegated to the card table. Right? Yeah, I've been there. Oh, that, 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 I'm still there, actually. So but, so, but when you go to a wedding banquet, when you go to a feast, when you go to dinner, just make a beeline to the card table right away. Do that. That's what Jesus is saying. That way the host will say, oh, no, Randy, don't sit there at the card table. Come on up here. See, that's verse 11. Whoever, the way up is down. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then, I mean, Jesus is on a roll now, right? Verse 12, and then he turns to the host. <laughs> Stop inviting everyone who's like you. you know, back then it was protocol to return the favor. You know, Jesus says, I want you to invite people who can't. You know, who can't return the favor? Who can't return the kindness? Well, like who? Well, Jesus says, like the poor, like the crippled, verse 13, like the lame, like the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See? I want you to invite those nobody else wants. That's what I want. Awkward silence. Awkward silence. I mean, if I said those things, I wouldn't get invited back. Jesus said those things. Awkward silence, and then someone at the table, verse 15 kind of breaks the awkward silence. Well, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. That's what I say. It's the English Standard Version. <laughs> now, what, what was that about? Oh, got to know this. Huh? That was about Isaiah 25, 6. Let's take a look at Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts 
will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. This is the messianic banquet when this age concludes and the new age comes and Messiah comes and hosts this beautiful banquet on God's mountain. What a blessing that will be. That's, you know. And for the next several centuries after the prophet Isaiah gave us that verse, Hebrew scholars gave their perspectives on these two words. Next slide. All peoples. All peoples. How do you interpret all peoples? Because some concluded that all peoples did not include the Gentiles, those who were of non-Hebrew ethnicity. And I mean, there were... <laughs> opinions about this. And this gentleman here wants to know what Jesus' opinion is. And this is where we get the parable. The parable of the great banquet. Jesus tells this story about a man who gave this banquet. This huge hall. He invites many people from the village. And back then what would happen is that a servant would go around the village with invitations. Can you come to the banquet? Yes, great. Would you like chicken? Would you like beef, sides? Put the order in. He gets the list of guests who say they can come to the banquet around the village. And then on the day itself, when the food is all prepared and the meal is ready to be served, the servant goes to the village and he rounds up all of the guests. That's what's going on here. Okay, we're ready. Dinner is served. Verse 17. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had invited, Come for everything is now ready. Well, the unthinkable then happens Excuse after excuse is made. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. One person says, oh, you know what? I just bought a field. And uh, wow, um, I just bought it and uh, I need to go check it out. Uh, please have me excused. What? Who does that? In the Mideast? With little moisture in that part of the world, to purchase property would be a long, drawn-out, negotiated process. He's got to check the soil. He's got to check the angle of the sun from October to April, which is their growing season. Nobody buys a field and then goes to check it out. I mean, that's just, that just doesn't happen. But please have me excuse. Well, then he goes to the next person. And basically the same story. Man, I just bought five yoke of oxen. Two oxen per yoke, 10 oxen. He's got quite a spread of property there, anywhere between 100 to 250 acres. That's a huge tract of land, and so he's got to have the machinery. Oxen were the machinery. Uh, but again, who does that? You know, and besides, if they bought the land and they bought the oxen, why, they're the owners of them, they're not going anywhere. You can go check them out the next day, right? And, and then the third, you know, 
well, I just got married and uh, I can't come. Okay, too much information, oversharing. This guy didn't even ask to be excused. He said, I'm just not coming. Now, one regret you might understand, but all three, you know what's going on here? They're trying to shut the banquet down. And, you know, it's an honor-shame culture. So they are intentionally trying to dishonor the host. I mean, think about how rude it would be if you invited me over to your home and we came and you said, come on in, have a beverage. Dinner's almost ready. We'll go to the peninsula uh, or we'll talk in the living room and we're visiting and we're waiting for the meat to come out of the oven and the timer goes off. You pull dinner out of the oven. Then everyone, I mean everyone, looks at their watch and says, oh my, look at the time. Uh, you know, I just bought five used cars. I got to go see if any of them start. And then they leave. I mean, talk about rude. Who would do that? Talk about disrespecting the host. What could be so important that you can be a part of that banquet? And so here, all of this food is ready. And the host hears of this. And the host is absolutely furious. Verse 21, then the master of the house became angry. But then the most beautiful thing happens. He turns his fury into grace. He tells the servant, well, we've got all this food. I want a party. I want a party. Go out and get me some people. Find me some people. Find, go get the poor. Go get the lame. Go get the blind. Go get the crippled. Remember the, the people that he just talked to the host about earlier. Go find, go find me the people nobody else wants. I want those nobody else wants. And you bring them. And the servant, he hears this. And He hears the heart of his master and his own heart is warmed and touched by such generous grace. And he goes out and and he goes out to the village. He he says to the poor, the lame, the blind, the crippled, my master wants you at the table. Come. And they're speechless. I mean, is this too good to be true? I, I can't possibly repay. You know, repayment's out of the question. No, 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 no. It's not about that. You don't have to repay. My master wants you at the table. Right now, we're ready. Please come. And, and, and they start streaming in. People with stories. People crippled by the harshness of life. People limping from their hurts. People blinded by the broken promises of idols who claim to give but only take. People who come just flat broke. And they're hesitant at first because, you know, they're afraid they'll be trapped. They've been scammed before. Nobody has ever been this good or generous to them. This grace is otherworldly. And after the last person is seated, they're eating and feasting and and all. And then the, the, the servant notices this. He notices there's a seat open. There's a section open. There's an empty chair. There's still room. I mean, he thought the entire hall had been filled, but no. So the servant, see, now he's paying attention to the room count because now the heart of the master has infected his heart. And he says to the, he says to the host, he says to his boss, we still have room. 
There are open seats. We've still got lots of food here. Verse 22, the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the host says, Well, get back out there. Get back. Go to the highways and the hedges. Leave town. Find me some guests that my house may be filled. Compel them. And so he went. He went to every continent on the face of the earth. He went to the Middle East. He went to Jerusalem. He went to Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He went to Turkey, Greece, Europe, the UK, North America, Central America, South America. That servant went to Asia, China, Australia, Africa, Uganda, Rwanda. He went to the the islands in the South Pacific and the Caribbean. He went to rural Illinois, urban Chicago. He went to Wyoming. He went to cities, counties, farmlands, grasslands, desert plains. You know what? That poor servant's still out there. He's still out there. And why? Because his boss said, you compel them to come. And so here we are. Here we are. From the most surprising places, right? Some of us are from some of us are from stuffy legalistic places. And God said, you know, there's a better table for you. And some of us are from factories, and some of us are from libraries, and some of us are from laboratories, some of us are from offices and classrooms and clinics and operating tables, and some of us are from, from trucks, and God said, you know there's a better table. And some of us were lost in some deep, dark sin, and we wondered if we could ever get out. If, only, if, if anyone only knew then, but someone told us of the God who offers a better table. Some of us have been afflicted by health, hurt by life, shamed by oppressors. We're still feeling it. We're still feeling it, and we want to heal. We don't know how to heal. And then someone said, I know who can help you heal the God of a better table. And you know, some of us are here, and we're the ones who did the hurting. We're the ones who caused the trouble. But the grace of God, which teaches us to say no to ungodliness, has brought us to a better table. (laughs) Are you getting the picture about what we all have in common here? Of course we have our differences racially, generationally, able, disabled, educationally, socioeconomically. But there is one commonality we share that overwhelms and outweighs everything, and that is the God of the better table. And God wants us at his table, and God will take us in. Psalm 2710, my mother and my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Here's my big idea. Don't forget this. If you forget anything else, it's about, it's about the God of the better table. Here it is. The grace of God compels God to compel us, to compel all to come to the table. Now, who would refuse that? Well, three people did. 
And you know, here's what I want to just spend a moment on this because it's really important. Some have the mistaken idea that to be cut off from God is because God is this angry, moody, touchy deity who gets annoyed and frustrated and who is looking for any reason to burn us in hell. And that's not what we read here, is it? You see, those cut off from the presence of God have cut themselves off. Um, I, I really appreciate what C.S. Lewis said about hell. He said, the door of hell is locked from the inside. So there's never a good reason to refuse the table of God. Never. So come. Come to the table. What are you waiting for? Invite Christ as the host of your heart. This church is an embassy of heaven. And we've come from all over the world, haven't we? Over the nations. And in Christ, we are one family. We who have made Christ the host of our hearts. And if you have made Jesus your king, then I want to invite you, if you've not done so already, to put your faith on display. Uh, through this beautiful, uh, I would call it an embodied liturgy of baptism. This act of, of um, this dramatic act declaring, here's, here's what the king has done in my life. Demonstrating Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We don't teach that baptism saves here at Windsor Road. We teach that baptism is a demonstration and a calling out concerning the one who has saved you. And so if you've been thinking about this, well, today's the day to do more than think about it, but do something about it. Tonight we're going to be at the Stevens Y at 6 o'clock. And uh, here's some T-shirts. Go find one your size and meet us at 6. Uh, we're going to have, and I, you know, for, the last four or five years that we've had Baptism Sunday, I never really know exactly how many folks are going to come. Uh, one year we had uh, three that I knew of, and we ended up having 15 to 20 being baptized. So I don't know, but I know that it's time. Come. Uh, 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 declare your faith and allegiance to Christ in baptism as a believer in Christ if you've not done that so far. We'll meet at the Y at 6 o'clock. You just get on Windsor Road and go west for one mile. It's on your left. You can't miss it. And we'll have a family swim afterwards. We'll have uh, uh, dinner and community. And uh, we will celebrate uh, the grace and goodness of the King who calls all by His grace to his table. And speaking of community and fellowship and relationship building, this Tuesday we're having another conversations uh, night right here in the cafe. Uh, at 6.30 we'll gather and uh, we'll, there'll be coffee and you're going to bring some cookies. And uh, we're going to have a time of uh, first 10 minutes. Uh, we'll all just kind of gather. And then about 6.40 we'll uh, 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 divide up into groups of, of 8 to 10. And uh, we'll have conversation, it, relationship building. 
We'll have some questions uh, based on our Sunday teaching. Uh, But the purpose of it is just to get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ and to celebrate the God who has offered us the better table. And we'll do that for about an hour. And then about 7.45, I'll get up and uh, I'll just ask to give some learnings from each group. And uh, I'll share that and we'll close in prayer and be out the door at 8 o'clock. And we've had a really great time of community and and fellowship in the two Tuesday nights that we have uh, offered this conversations. And I would invite you, you can sign up. Uh, at the Welcome Center out uh, there through the glass doors. And if you need child care, let us know and uh, on that as well. We'd kind of like to have an idea of who's coming. Uh, uh, but if you don't know for sure, just, you know, just go ahead and sign up anyway. And, uh, or just come if your plans change at the last minute on Tuesday. Come. Come and eat. Come to the table. But before I pray... I want to issue a challenge because the message of the parable just simply goes beyond come and eat. Go and compel. That poor servant's still out there. That that poor guy needs some help. And when we realize how good God's table is, can we really keep it to ourselves? You know, we have our stomachs and souls filled by God's feast and then we hear his voice. Can you help Can you go out? And you don't have to know everything. You just tell what God has done in and through your life. I love Mark 5, 19. And he did not permit him, but said to him, this was a person Jesus healed, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That is the best way to share Christ. By telling others in your sphere of influence what Jesus has done in and through your life. My goodness. Come and eat. Go and compel. And then Jesus says these strong words in verse 24. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Wow. Huh. What's that mean? That means his invitation is really important. That's what that means. And don't presume upon his invitation. This is not something to be put off. You cannot enter heaven without God's invitation. And you can't remain outside except by your own choice. You can't save yourself, but you can damn yourself. Strong words by Christ. But here's the deal. When Jesus entered that Pharisee's home, it wasn't as a guest. It was as the king, as the royal host. And it may have been the Pharisee's house, but it's Jesus' world. And Jesus never enters as a guest. He enters as sovereign king. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Abraham Kuyper, once the prime minister of the Netherlands, once put it this way. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! Mine. This is who we worship. So do you want the delight of God? Do you want peace with God? Do you want to taste and see that the Lord is good? So, so good that you have to share. Oh, come and eat. Go and compel. Come, eat, go, compel. That's what we all have in common. Same God, same table, same commission. Amen. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have communion. We're going to have some table time. And uh, I'm going to ask you to just make your way up when you're ready to receive communion. If, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, well, you, you come. And if you're not a believer, then, then I would just ask you to just pray and reflect on what you've heard. Who's your God? And can your God do all of this? And, and I would also ask you, if you're ready uh, for tonight, come get your T-shirt here while you're coming for communion. And uh, we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.